CBD, uh, the Wolf Fed. And I think we're on, Tom. All right. You are listening to Radio Free Nashville, 107.1 and 103.7 FM, low power, and streaming live at RadioFreeNashville.org. Welcome to the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour. Um, and I think Amazon threatens the ability to, you know, privately, uh, you know, dictate your life. <laughs> it's yeah. Everybody wants to know what you thought about it, and if you don't tell them, you know, you're the problem. You're the problem. Okay. Or you're, you know, you're, you're. You're not playing the game. You're withholding yeah. something and not you're not helping everyone else grow. So, well, you know, not everything needs to be a a, P, a cog. You know, maybe yeah. you know privacy still exists. I think or, All right. or should. All right. And um, that's where I worry most about things like Amazon or Facebook. And you know, they're not the same type of service, but they bring people together in the same way that they create this community that one everyone's obsessed with, and two people have lost sight of how to function without them. You know, okay. you ask a ask a twenty seven year old kid to delete his Facebook for three months, you know, he loses his mind. <laughs> what is he gonna do? How's he gonna find So that's Aaron Dyan. He's gonna be the guest in today's show. He is a millennial and we have um uh, had a number of people on, number of young yeah. people on, but we're just gonna get a millennial perspective. Yeah, today. well, we're, we're too old, and we need to get some fresh blood. That's right. So today's show is going to be called OK, Boomer. Yeah. So, all right, Tom, who are we? Well, my name is Tom Gross, and I am here with co-host and fellow Vietnam vet Jim Vogelmuth. We are the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour. Veterans for Peace is an international organization of military veterans and allies whose collective efforts are to build a culture of peace by using our experiences and lifting our voices for the causes of peace, humanity, equality, and justice. Our network is comprised of over 140 chapters worldwide. Our radio show is on stations across the country. We meet the second Tuesday of the month at the Friends Meeting House, 530 26th Avenue North in Nashville. Unless this month, and we're meeting tonight. Yeah, we switch around but uh, we'll keep you posted on websites and facebook um elsewhere uh our show is on uh, many stations we meet uh like we said on the first tuesday so try to join us for the meetings when they come up and remember you can get a copy of the show by just going to our facebook page just search veterans for peace chapter 089 or please follow us on twitter VFP Radio Nashville and at VFP 89 Radio. And to find any of our shows, just go to bit.ly backslash capital V, capital F, capital P, small uh, letters radio hour. Also, if you are a station online or you are on, on the air and would like us to send you our show, just text your, your email to 703-403-6135. If you have questions for us while we're on the air or an idea for another show, send us a text at the same number, 703-403-6135. We will try to get to your questions while on the air, 
If you are one of our nationwide affiliates, just text us and we will get to your questions or suggestions next show. And Veterans for Peace, Radio Hour, and Radio Free Nashville are sponsored in part by the Green Party of Tennessee, bringing some common sense into the bipolar world of American politics. Go to greenpartyoftennessee.org. So, real quick, we've got a um, an important meeting tonight, despite all the chaos. Yeah. It's at the Friends Meeting House. Yeah, and uh, uh, Aripa will be there talking about what's happening with uh, our nuclear weapons policies. Yes, we've got a third crisis. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't have enough warheads on land-based facilities or in the air, so we have to put them in submarines now. Yeah. Not so, to mention the budget. That's right. So <laughs> Ralph Hutchison at 6.30 tonight at the Friends Meeting House, and that is 5.30 26th Avenue. So that's tonight. Hope you can be there. No potluck. So, um, maybe some music. Maybe some music. Oh, yeah. Ralph does really good yeah. there. So today is a different show for sure. And like most of my better ideas, I got them at a local bar. For the Funny show. how that works. Funny how that works. <laughs> Funny how that works. So I was talking to a young man who who used to work at this uh, establishment I go to called Tailgate. And um, he'd come back. And so I said, how are you doing? And all of a sudden, he was sitting down. We were talking. And I was thinking, wow, this is a perspective on life from a millennial, on life, on living, on country, on economy, and what it's like to be a millennial. So you know, in this show, we have tried to profile and address many types of people in search of humanity, justice, prosperity, and peace. And we've had a number of millennials on the show, but never, never to just talk about the millennial experience. So with that, this is part one, because there was too much to talk about. This is part one of a two-part conversation with a young man named Aaron Dye. And of course, the title of the show is... Okay, boomer. So, hey, you know they have more skin in the game than we do, Jim. Oh hell, heck yes, <laughs> heck yeah, they sure do. And here's Aaron Die, and he will talk about that. Introduce yourself a little bit, and then give us the millennial perspective. How's life? What are the challenges? Uh, what do you see the world? Where do you see the future of the world? Where do you see the future of the United States? Where, you know, just tell us. Fill the air. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Name's Aaron Dye, uh, a soon-to-be 32-year-old in the, you know, great American experiment we're in right now. Um, I think um, my experience, uh, I've had a decent amount of luck in my life to travel around a bit and see the world and talk to different people and travel the U.S. as well. Um, the South is definitely a very unique place for millennials, I think, when you talk about the Biden comment of the whiners and such. I think that almost is honed in down here more than anywhere else in the country. Um, oddly enough, actually not to uh, this past week, what's today? The, <laughs> on the second uh, of this month? So yeah, last week this time, uh, I got in a conversation with my uh, grandparents actually, and they're of the boomer generation, um, very akin to the why can you not do it thing. Right. Um, and I think, you know, uh, I mean, I think the biggest obstacle right there is right off is wages. Um, and I know that's something that's been a hot debate for a decade now mm -hmm. on the minimum wage level. Um, the fact that you can hold a 
full-time job and still not pay for a semester of college, um, that's why you can't do it. You know what I mean? Right. Maybe, maybe we are whining a little bit, but I think there's maybe some justification to that whining. I don't know. I think whining gives a negative connotation. Maybe it's more of a social commentary of what's been left for us to pick up on the on the back end. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, I think the work's there to be put in. I mean, I'm, you know, here at Tailgate right now, you know, I worked here for quite some time, and I can say, you know, most of the people working in this industry here in the brewery industry, a lot of them are of the millennial generation. It's a growing, you know, part of the economic structure in America. And, um, you know, I know guys I personally did, but I know a lot of friends are putting in 60, 65, 70 hours a week. Yeah. Um, and they're doing okay for themselves. But, like, you know, it's there's n- no reason to say we're not giving our share to, you know, the, the workforce, our time in the workforce and stuff oh, like absolutely. that. Oh, um, absolutely. So, um, you know, I'm an advocate for race minimum wage. Um, I don't know if it needs to be all the way to the far left argument in the spectrum. You know, I think there's, you know, you got to have a conversation about everything um, mm-hmm. on the floor of Congress at the end of the day. But uh, it seems ridiculous to me that, you know, living expenses have virtually doubled in the last 20 years and the minimum wage hasn't moved at all. <laughs> not, exactly. not, not a penny. So, you right. know, what are you supposed to do with that? Yeah. Um, you know, maybe minimum wage jobs aren't supposed to support a family, but they should be able to support an individual and they can't even do that anymore. Right. Um, uh, I think the other biggest article or obstacle in the that dynamic of us in the workforce or not being able to, you know, seemingly give our part is that a lot of the jobs are still taken by older generations. Um, luckily, life expectancy grows and it, you know, extends over time, so people are staying alive longer. But as people continue to have more financial struggles, especially after the 08 collapse, you know, that put a lot of people that were out of the workforce back in it yeah. or attempting to be. You know, um, it's no one's fault that they need a job, but as long as, you know, John Doe over here working at Kroger is keeping his, you know, ten, twelve dollar an hour bagger job or however much it pays him. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, he's sixty five years old. Sixty five years old. Again, can't tell people not to make a living if they need to make a living, but it's hard yeah. to find a spot if that guy doesn't leave the, you know, the job. Where do you plug us in? Sure. And chances are he's got that job just for healthcare. Mm-hmm. Oh well, if it's there, if it's there. <laughs> if it's there. <laughs> which is you know that. Uh, um, and that's an argument. Yeah, it's a conversation. I'm sure we'll dive into here in a few as well. Sure. Um, uh, so I love that people. You know, if you're able to work, and you got to work. You got to work. But um, you know, it pushes people into different industries. And uh, trade schools, I think, are making a little bit of a comeback right now, which is really important because um, not everybody one can afford college, and it doesn't always yield the you know immediate job offers mm-hmm. after graduation that you really wanted to. I mean, Where, Where'd you go to school? So I went to University of Tennessee, uh, Knoxville. So mm-hmm. I graduated. I took the extra year, did a whole victory lap there for myself. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think I was one. I was lucky enough to get into college with some benefits on my back. Uh, had a couple scholarships and stuff like that. Um, didn't keep them all the whole time. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, but I'm thankful for the privileges I had to be able to go and not worry about it too much. Um, I think in some levels it made me not worry about it enough from case to case. Uh, yeah. But I got an English literature degree up there. Um, time in my life, I think I learned more about um, the social aspects and 
uh, almost political aspects of your day-to-day -day life on how you're dealing with people and operating within a society more than I did out of the books. Um, but I think that's an experience that's invaluable as well. Mm -hmm. uh, not everybody appreciates that part of college um, when they get to go to it. I, you know, I, I was a socialite at the, you know, to put it mildly, so I, thought I probably could have dialed it back a little bit in my time, but. Uh, but I think it prepared me more for operating within the world than um, a lot of other things could have. Um, sure. Did you that, come out with college debt? Uh, a little, but not a ton. Um, the debt issue didn't hit me too hard. Um, like I said I had a little support from my folks as well, um, uh, and they helped shoulder a little of that, so the interest didn't build up on me and all that kind of stuff yeah. um, at the beginning. So I owed. Uh, I owed, but it didn't. It didn't snowball on me like it does a lot of people. But I watch a lot of people that does. I have a really good friend. She's in the bar business right now, but she's also an occupational therapist. Um, and she so two jobs. Yeah, two jobs. Um, there have been times where they're both full time. Sometimes it's less in the secondary market, the bar market she works in. But at the same time, she's also still having to think. Uh, you know. Uh, She's getting up towards 30 years old and still having to think about maybe moving back home because with the debt she accrued getting her job, she's actually working in her field and working as her job, and she's still having trouble covering that back debt um, and getting and insurance. She, and, and she's here in Nashville. Yes. Okay. Or now. <laughs> you know, yeah. as long as they, you know, it's, uh, and I think, you know, that's, the debt's hard to deal with because you talk about the people that didn't have to accrue it and then forgiving the debt and all that kind of stuff. But I think it, it's gotten to the point where it's very obvious that institutions are taking advantage of young minds mm -hmm. uh, financially. I yep. think it's insane. Um, uh, whether or not how you feel about smoking cigarettes or drinking alcohol or whatever, but the fact that I can sign up for a $50,000 a year, you know, uh, hole to put myself in, but not go buy a six dollar pack of cigarettes. It's kind of crazy in this world. Uh, oh, at the age right. of eighteen, um, health or not, you know, not not talking about health aspects and all that kind of stuff, but just the idea that that you know the decisions we are and are not considered trusted to make. Um, See, so you can't buy cigarettes, but you can get yourself a fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, but I can, you know, I can ruin the next twenty years of my life without knowing about it because I'm too young to even really think that far ahead. Sure. I mean, how many eighteen year olds are thinking past next Saturday night? Not a lot, <laughs> you know, right. especially right out of high school. I mean, heck, college is, you know, you'll do anything to get into college. Just go to the party a lot of these kids. Yeah. And there's nothing, I don't think there's anything wrong with that mindset. Um, that was the mindset I had when if, I went to college. If you're, you know, given even the opportunity of means to really pay for it without, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like I said, if your parents aren't making almost an abundance of money at this yeah. day and age. I mean, you're not even talking about your parents making a living. they got to be making three people's living for you to be, you know, uh, a part of that system without catching a real raw deal. On the that's right. And I think that's something my baby boomer generation doesn't realize the difference in cost mm -hmm. of college these days, because we could have a summer job, just a three month job, yeah. and we would pay for the whole next year mm -hmm. because we'd earn enough money. If we decided to do that, yeah, I was actually looking into it uh, the other day. It's I think the average cost for a uh, public university these days uh, is somewhere in the twenty to twenty-two thousand dollar range, and a full-time job at ten bucks an hour, which is almost three dollars over the minimum you can make, 
doesn't necessarily cover that depending you know it gets right you to that third twenty thousand dollar mark so yeah. technically you can go to school but you're not allowed to eat or have a place to live so exactly. you know and that's you working full-time year-round while trying to keep up the workload that's right um and I get that not everyone's, you know, maybe college isn't necessarily uh, a, a right. You know, I mean, you have to earn your way in, whether it be academically or with, uh, you know, sports achievements and whatever gets you your scholarships if you go. Like, you don't necessarily have to guarantee college to everyone, but making it not worth going is a problem because then you're, 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 you're making it a smarter move not to get educated. And ultimately, that doesn't help... Uh, you know, that's not going to help build a productive discourse as my generation gets older. Because yeah. if we don't go to college, or maybe the generation under me almost now, but I, you know, I have a sister who's in college right now, she's 10 years younger than me. Um, uh, you know, if you're almost paid off not to go to college, and maybe you go to trade schools, you, you know, you can provide a lot of good, good things there. Um, but there's a lot of people that don't go to a trade school, or, you know, mm -hmm. they don't do anything with it. So if you're kind of you're, you're getting a better end of the deal in the immediate time not to go. You don't educate yourself, but you also trap yourself with a much lower ceiling than you usually have. Oh, sure. Because um, a lot of these companies, too, it's, you know, and maybe the boomer generation even talks. It's like, oh, I was able to get this job as soon as I graduate high school, too. But, again, not just workforce uh, saturation, but demands of experience and degrees to even get yourself in the front door at the mailroom a lot of places, um, what are you supposed to do? You know, those jobs, exactly. those jobs don't exist for you unless you take on $200,000 for the day. Yeah, um, so you're trapped. Which is crazy, you know what I mean? So, yeah. And that's, you know, it's like, sure you can, and you take that on, you can move up, but you, there's, it, it's seemingly harder and harder to find your way up in the workforce, or, you know, upward mobility without that education, even if that piece of paper ultimately doesn't, I think it means less and less every year mm -hmm. these days, um, mm -hmm. but it's still sitting there as a requirement for you to join adulthood. Almost, sure, absolutely. I mean, and statistics, with quotes around that. <laughs> I mean, there's plenty of studies that show that if you graduate from high school, you'll live on average to a particular age. Uh -huh. If you graduate from college, you will live to that particular age, press probably four or five years yeah. longer. And you will make like millions more if you just go to college. That, but the problem is, you're already in debt anywhere from fifty thousand to two hundred thousand, yeah. depending on what. So do you, you know how long does it take you to actually, yeah, be making money? That's right. That's right. And um, but I think it's a testament to my generation. On the back end of that, we've been very innovative in creating our own jobs. Yeah. Um, uh, the tech industry obviously is kind of a. Gen X to my generation uh, flow there, but um, you know you, you have all these jobs where it be heck even something as simple as driving for Uber or yeah. creating your own Etsy account to sell your jewelry and stuff. But like, there's so much independent money making I think happening in my generation because you said the the one job you has have isn't enough, so you figure out a way to make some change on the side and I think a lot of times people look at that as like almost being I don't know cheap's not the right word here but older generations look at it as almost like a cop out to doing what maybe especially I think older men would consider real work uh, yeah. you know a physical labor aspect of things it's like maybe but you're still putting your time into something that people appreciate so that's right why does it matter and they're willing to know? pay for it 
Yeah. You know, why is it, you know, I'm sorry, maybe I ruined the industry of chain restaurants over here because I wanted to make, you know, if you want to make money, maybe they set up a little shop and, you know, do a little taco shop on their own. If they run four days a week or something like that with them and their wife or something, it's like, okay, so we got these industries we're not participating in, but we're making our own mm -hmm. uh, space over here, you know, to make up for that. Yeah. where that money doesn't go because we'd rather give ourselves I think a lot of times our, my generation would rather give my generation money than give your generation the money <laughs> that you know the small business the small business support is I think growing okay because of that um, I know small business within the millennial generation yeah, is, yeah you know is taking over that segment of society where you know it's like there's no you know the Walmarts and stuff they're always going to dominate I mean Amazon is the perfect example of how that's still going to be alive and thriving forever, I think, um, in some form or fashion. Um, and possibly take over. If we're not careful, which is a whole <laughs> whole thing I could definitely get into. Um, uh, but we enjoy, you know, almost supporting ourselves. And, you know, younger people are starting smaller businesses, uh, just like every generation does. Um, but I think we have a really good focus on making sure, you know, I'll spend the extra dollar fifty on this taco at the local shop than I will at, you know, Las Palmas here down the street. Yeah. So, I mean, not that that's a bad place to go. I'm not saying don't go to Las Palmas. But, you know, it's, it's worth it to make sure you're supporting those that are of your ilk, that you understand. And you're going through the same things you are. Um, and we kind of create this little bubble, almost kind of just passing our goods around amongst ourselves uh, sometimes, but at least it you know keeps us all moving. So. Yeah, so it's almost like a uh, a, a nondescript co-op. Almost, yeah. Kind of, yeah. You know, it's this yeah. uh, this silent agreement we've made across the globe, almost with ourselves, or at least across the country. I'm sure, you yeah. know. Um, well, I'm fascinated by your thoughts about Amazon because okay, yeah. there, there's so many people. There's so many people that say. I, you know, Amazon's great because it's so convenient, and I worry about that um, because it's like they're becoming the sole source. Mm -hmm. So I loved Amazon when it was books. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, that's a big—I mean, being a big aspect of my life. Um, That's—I'm uh, still. I think maybe one way I do separate myself from the millennial generation. So. Don't hold it against me, guys. Um, is uh, I still love I still love the paperback book. I love the physical turning the cogs and stuff like that. So I loved when Amazon was almost like this. It was convenient, but like shop to kind of gain knowledge almost is how I saw it. But like I said, now it's it encompasses every aspect of consumerism. Um, it's dangerous. I think at the very least, it's dangerous. It's almost an allowed monopoly. Um, I don't use Amazon anymore. Uh, Personally, I, what do you do? Uh, I have developed a little bit of a minimalist philosophy in my life over the last couple of years. Uh, so I don't consume as much as a lot of people do. As far as just like I don't have a retail therapy is not does not exist in my life. I guess uh, except maybe the used bookstore down the street. But um, so you make the or you go to the store. I don't. I've, I've never. I still fail to understand why not go have some human contact with people when you want something. I don't. Yeah. You know, maybe we don't need our groceries delivered right to our doorstep on call. Maybe we, you know, you can afford to have a conversation with someone about something, and you know, don't 
base your whole life on a stream of reviews from these people you've never met and you don't understand, you know, and you, you weren't part of their individual, you know, experience with someone. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know, I, I, I appreciate the convenience of it and the sense that it is just almost an extension of what, a growth of what places like, you know, Walmart or Target or something have given us in the past. So I, I, I understand why it exists and I understand how it can help some people. You know, there are people that aren't, not everyone's right next door or something, so it can help. Um, but it's almost become so big it needs its own regulation. Yeah. Um, which is dangerous to say because you're hurt, you know, you start stepping into free market issues and stuff like that and you don't want to do that, but at the same time, you're, you don't want to kill the inspiration for other people to strive towards that goal. You know, I feel like Jeff Bezos at this point has almost become someone's like, you know, he's he's what you want to be if you're a young entrepreneur because you go from, you know, having this little idea to really creating something great, um, whether or not it's good. <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, that's what everybody really wants in the, the American dream. Nothing to something or maybe not nothing, but, you know, you know, go on yourself, but uh, his success is almost making it too intimidating to even work your way into that that plan. So, you know, what are we sacrificing by letting, like I said, letting one person almost take yeah. over the whole thing? Yeah. Um, I think last time we talked, I told you I had just finished reading The Circle. Yeah. But Dave Eggers, um, and it's a novel that deals with a social media company essentially taking over the world. Or not essentially, that's what happens in this novel. Um, and it is written in the sense it almost feels like a Facebook type thing that's happening within the novel, but like the more, after reading that, it kind of was a little bit of an eye opener. It just get, it got me thinking, um, Amazon's almost closer to what that was threatening because you almost have to be a part of that system to have an opinion oh my. on, on yeah. things anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, does your opinion does does it count if you didn't blog it or review it or tell your peers about it? Like, can you just enjoy something for yourself anymore? Um, and I think Amazon threatens the ability to, you know, privately, uh, you know, dictate your life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. Everybody wants to know what you thought about it, and if you don't tell them, you know, you're the problem. You're the problem. Okay. Or you're, you know, you're, you're, you're not playing the game. You're withholding yeah. something and not, you're not helping everyone else grow. So, well, you know, not everything needs to be a, a P, a cog, you know, maybe, yeah. you know, privacy still exists, I think. Or, All right. Or it should. All right. And, um, that's where I worry most about things like Amazon or Facebook and, you know, they're not the same type of service, but they bring people together in the same way that they create this community that one, everyone's obsessed with and two, people have lost sight of how to function without them. You know, okay. you ask a ask a twenty seven year old kid to delete his Facebook for three months, you know, he loses his mind. <laughs> what is he gonna do? How's he gonna find his friends? How's he gonna talk to anybody? You know what I mean? Right. It just doesn't you, it's 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 yeah. become so dependent it's almost dangerous to think about what happens if the, the plug gets pulled. So and that's the thing. That's what I see as being dangerous with these things is because I'll talk to friends and they're dependent dependent on Amazon and I say, well, it's becoming a sole source. What about if they decide to pull the plug? What if they decide that 
no, you can't buy Howard Zinn or you can't buy something that you're looking for if they get to that if they get to that point. Oh, absolutely. I think and I think as dangerous as withholding information, which is the really to me is the linchpin of any society that starts taking a turn towards uh, you know totalitarian regime type stuff or you know very skewed visions of you know communism and stuff like that that really go off the edge on it um, that is dangerous is telling people they can't learn something I mean right. look at North Korea or China it's very obvious that's, that's insane um, but I think even more or almost equally as dangerous sometimes is not just saying no but making you pay to play the game anyway um, whether it be you know you need a subscription to use this service and even if it's like all open now you're monetizing what people again and this might even kind of play into the issues of uh, tuition at schools you know you're monetizing people's ability to learn and it's like this is you know it's like it's almost like making a library card cost a hundred dollars a month or something. You yeah. know what I mean? Like you're 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 making you're making it difficult for people to just freely share information. Sure. Because it's not free to share anymore. You got yeah. Or you have to, or whether or not you maybe it's you don't have to give them money, but you have to give them information. Yeah. And you know I don't I'm not someone that's paranoid to think that every time I put my email address in a you know website that someone's trying to steal my identity. I mean I know what happens, but we are living in a modern world, so uh, there are advantages to you know heightened communication, but I don't think it should be required to live. If you want to opt out of it, you should have that ability. And we're getting dangerously close not to being able to opt out of this. You know, web. not to be a Thoreau. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So and you know. And I, you know, doesn't mean you have to have a mantra about it. You don't have to be a Buddhist monk to, you know, want to back out. But if I want to go to, you know, take a vacation for a few days somewhere, like buy myself something dumb at the shop, like I don't need to like have everyone involved with that decision with me. <laughs> You're listening to Aaron Dye on Radio Free Nashville, the Veterans for Peace Radio Hour with the Millennial Perspective. Discussion around Bernie Sanders, the socialist, the, mm-hmm. the democratic socialist. And my generation is scared to death of the, the socialism. Of course, you know, we came through the, the Cold War. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, neither the Soviet Union calling himself communist was textbook communism. Correct. Correct. 100%. And and neither was the United States textbook democracy or republic, whichever way you want to go. Absolutely, yeah. And so, but my generation is so scared. Your generation doesn't seem to be so scared, but I want your perspective. Uh, My biggest perspective on these, I think, and you had mentioned this when we talked last, uh, the word socialism, I think, is almost, um, it's a problem word. Uh, it carries a lot of weight to it, uh, and it carries a lot of perspectives, and it gives, I think, using just flat, using the word socialism uh, as a banner point, uh, it gives both sides of the aisle the ability to skew it to where they want. Um, um, where, you know, Bernie uses socialism as 
more akin to the Nordic states. Um, a lot of times, I think is where we, yep. you know, he looks at, and you see, you know, see him talking about that. But then the conservative side of the aisle will point to Venezuela or something, yep. where socialism is obviously a dumpster fire. But um, I think, in its pure form, socialism to communism is a very tough thing to get because it, this world will always have people in it that want to take advantage of situations. Um, but I think what Bernie says also, being more akin to the Nordic state philosophy of it, it's not necessarily true socialism either. Um, and that's okay. It doesn't need to be. Maybe that's not no. the idea that works. Um, but the rhetoric becomes the issue. Uh, I don't even think it's the ideas. Uh, I think you could say this honestly if you go all the way from socialism to a hardcore conservatism um, where it's almost like ultimate states' rights issue, you know, type stuff. Um, people force themselves to talk in extremes and there's no, you know, this middle gap between the trenches is, and then it's almost like the... Uh, uh, Dead man's the, flat. Yeah, it's the, yeah exa exactly. Um, and, you know, you we've created a situation where whether or not you would agree with either philosophy, we have the man in the, in the chair right now in Washington and Bernie, and if this is, you know, if that's what we're talking about, I'm going to lean a little farther left and probably agree with the Bernie side more, but the fact of the matter is there's not a whole lot of conversation in between. I think compromise has been something that we lose here. Yep. Um, and I think the word socialism, while it doesn't scare my generation as much, I think you're right about that. People aren't afraid of the idea, or they're at least not afraid of talking about it. Um, the size of the country matters, how many people you're dealing with. We obviously have a much more diverse uh, citizenship here in this country with some of the places that it, uh, the philosophy has been proven to work when it does. Um, so while the, the idea doesn't necessarily scare my generation as much, I think the, the lack of discourse about it, what it really means is where we have the issue. Um, you don't have people, as much as they want to explain it, and even if someone does explain well, even if Bernie sat down and laid it all out exactly how he wanted to talk about it, and it didn't even line up with the idea of socialism people in their head, um, and it was even a good, you know, say, you know, a conservative per, you know, more conservative person hears Bernie's talking points, it's like, oh, that's not the socialism I, I thought of. Maybe this isn't as bad as I imagined. As soon as it hit the socialism stamp hits the campaign poster, though, you're right back with the masses still having this argument about it. You know? yeah. um, but people don't want to listen. I think that's the issue. People don't want to really talk about it. People want to hear themselves talk. Um, and I'm no stranger to that. I talk a lot. <laughs> but, uh, but I think people don't... They'd rather... They'd rather force their ideas to work yeah. Even if they don't, or like come up with some scenario, it's almost like you imagine we imagine these scenarios where um, my ideal work if X, 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 and X also falls into place. Right. Um, and I think the same can be said for uh, you know the all the way um, socialist mindset too. Oh, this would really work in America if this, this, and this, and this came into play. Mm -hmm. Okay, maybe neither is going to really work, but maybe we can talk about it. And a form of socialism mixed with some conservatism uh, can in birth out of you know some again like this middle ground the no man's land can start to disappear a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I think my generation, something my generation is unique in. I think there's the social and fiscal aspects of politics 
Um, I think there's a large sect of my generation where there is not a party for how we blended those things. All right. Um, I know a lot of people in my generation that have been fairly successful financially in, in their you know young adulthood, you know, to the age of 30, 40 or so, um, and you know they align. They're, they can be pretty fiscally conservative because they're, you know, maybe some self-interest there. And I see that, but they're still, you know, they, they're willing to sacrifice that a little bit for their social beliefs on whether it be gay marriage or abortion or whatever it is. But it's almost like you have to draw this line and stand and be, you know, if you want to, if you want the like ultra free market or privatized industries and stuff, you also have to be anti-abortion. Yeah. Like you can't, you you don't get to. You can't separate those things, which yeah. is crazy because they have nothing to do with each other. Sure. But the political parties have made it impossible for you to pick both. Yeah. Whether or not it's the right decision, that's not you know for me to say right here. But um, well, where where would you see the political situation? Uh, I mean, I think I think I, I wouldn't even say third party, but multi party system. It, it, I don't understand how it doesn't exist. Um, I think a country is. I was uh, recently in Iceland, and I. That, that's a country I think with like I think it's 350,000 people in like seven or eight major political parties um, if that many people can produce that many ideas <laughs> I how many does 350 million create you know there's no right. way that our population fits into these two categories like this um, now Bernie Sanders I think is decent he's a really good example whether you agree with him or not on almost being a third party guy I mean, he, died, he falls into the Democratic Party when it comes time to, you know, I mean, you got to be hurt. That's, I mean, that's the brass tacks of it. Yeah. But, I mean, if a different place existed or if the possibility existed, you know, he's in that almost what Nader kind of started. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, uh, I thought uh, the Paul family. Um, was really good at that too. Um, mm -hmm. Whether or not they were a philosophy you agreed with, again, they think that they created this libertarian pocket that it almost got real legs there for a little while. Almost. Um, and yeah. I, you know, for me, what's important for the political climate is to whether or not you like these third party or multi party ideas, it's not so much that you have to agree with them, but you have to. They have to be legitimized so there can be more conversation and power can get more evenly and appropriately spread. Now, do you think the, the two parties are actually working together to make sure there isn't a third party? Absolutely. I mean, I think on some level. I don't know if they... I. And I... I it's all the same almost nowadays, especially when you have a reality star uh, president. Um, media is really the, the driving force to it, uh, and they don't, I mean, how many real outlets for non-Republican or Democrat, almost like party-lined, uh, you know, media sources are there. Yeah. I mean, you know, no matter what it is, there's a billion of them out there, but all, I mean, you can clearly see who they're rooting for. Sure. Um, and I think even so, I'm a big public radio guy, even something like NPR is at this point skewed left, which is not, kind of trends towards me anyway, so I don't I don't dislike the discourse, but even to stay relevant as a public radio station, you almost have to align yourself somewhere. Um, so I don't know if I would say that the parties are working to making themselves the only options as much as they have 
where they're at now, they already have that power. I don't even know if they have to really put as much effort into it as much as they just have to make, you know, which is, you know, they they try, they, they absorb the extreme ideas. Right. Um, so that that person can't become individually profitable off, not, not even physically profitable, but, you know, um, have a wealth of support. Because um, right. someone like Bernie Sanders or Rand Paul a few years ago, or um, even like the Tea Party group, which is you know the other way, but like they get absorbed and accepted conditionally mm-hmm. as long as they don't get too important. Um, which is where you see you know it's like uh, not necessarily party to party, but you know both parties have both squashed these ideas. You know, yeah. um, Bernie's the best example. It's happening right now. The Democratic, you know. The large, you know, base of that, you know, the the wealthy end of the Democratic Party is trying to push that idea away, um, and they're doing a pretty good job. And they love it's like you know, but it's it's like on paper they love the ideas, um, but they don't want someone that I, I think someone's like they don't want anybody that actually believes it. You know? Yeah. Because um, at the end of the day, I think the major political powers, no matter what side of the aisle they fall on, um, career politicians have created the. Uh, separation of the populace from the vote. Mm-hmm. So do you think which has been which is crazy? Like you said, we're not. Like yeah. You were saying earlier, America is not a true democracy, but it's barely. It's almost an oligarchy at this point. Exactly. Exactly. Um, it's not even. Yeah, we vote these people in, but like they don't need to have our interests at mm-hmm. heart because no one can run against them really. Exactly. Rarely, rarely, and you've seen more of it, but still way less than. Because the largest, and I can't say voting block, but the largest block of registered voters are neither Democrat or Republican. They're the non-voter. Yeah. They're, so, and and your generation, your generation, right or wrong, gets this, gets this reputation as, oh, they won't come out to vote. They won't come out to vote. I think that's changing. Um, I hope it is. I hear it more personally, and maybe I just happen to run in a circle or circles that a more participant um, but I, I mean I know I actually uh, I have a, a friend of mine she it was a she's a bartender friend um, and there's a regular that comes in to that bar as well um, and she started giving him some silly nickname I forgot what it was but she won't she won't call him by his name uh, and I heard him kind of talking over it one day. I understood what she was saying. She was like, oh, I'm not going to call you by your real name until you register to vote and actually participate. This is like leading up to the election stuff. So even though, I mean, it's something silly like that, but I think you hear my generation's voice about the importance of this growing. Um, the I think it was correct to criticize in 2016 our participation because we were super loud and didn't show up. Yeah. Uh, I hope that that was a real wake-up call, though. Um, wherever you land, I mean, participation is really what you mean. That democracy doesn't work. People don't involve themselves, no matter who you agree with. So I'm hoping, like, my generation has realized that um, maybe there is, maybe sometimes there is a little truth to us whining on the internet. If you don't, if you don't put the ballot in, you know, right. uh, I don't think it's fair to call us whiners if we try. Um, but if you find out some dude has a YouTube channel and all he does is, you know, whine and moan about his current situation, but then you find out, you know, he didn't care who mayor was, 
Well, then hang out the phone, dude. You know, get off the channel. <laughs> That's right. Get off the um, channel. It's you know, there's the one thing to be said about your generation is you know, carry a big stick. You know, you know, talk stops carry a big stick. You know, you you hit the poles, and that needs to be learned. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think it's I think it's growing. I think it's to be seen in the next few months. Here we're going to find out. Uh, but I would be shocked if we aren't hitting that step. And we're getting older too. The millennials are getting older. Um, I yeah. There's another generation after you. Actually, yeah. We're already you know we're 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 not kids anymore. And I think you know there's part of growing up. And I think again you talk about criticism. And I, every generation is always going to do this. I'm I'm sure when I hit 50, I'm going to criticize. 15 year olds you know you know, to an extent in some level you know and you always have idea yeah. or at least even if it's not vocal you, you think these things um, so you know we get a lot of these criticisms about our efforts or our ideas but it's like we're you know at the time that a lot of this started say a decade ago I think the millennial the dig into the millennial vibe from the older generation really started it's like well we were kids yeah, I mean, we had crazy ideas, but so do you know. So did so did I mean the baby boomers like that was you know. So did we. The '60s were great, <laughs> you know. Like I mean, you know, every you know every generation's gonna have their ideas. You gotta you gotta start there, That's right. and you and you learn what really works. You know, you start way out left field when you're 16 to 22 years old. You know, you sure. you have all these great ideas about how the world would work if everyone was perfect. Yeah, and you, you know you grow up and learn everybody's not. So you kind of figure out where you're at and. Now there's people in my generation. They're going to be 40 in a couple years. You know, we're not. Um, That's scary. We're not well, the thing, for me, especially. It's, it's like we're not kids. You know, it's kind of tough, like to call us kids and irresponsible. It's like you know, you got people that are succeeding and have been, you know, thriving pieces of the, the American experiment right. for for a decade and a half now. Yeah. And like they're not failing. And just because you don't agree with their ideas doesn't mean they're crazy because they have them and they're still a lot. They're still making money or raising families or, you know, having a social circle that supports them, um, whatever those things are. Yep. So, you know, we're getting old enough now where it's not, uh, I don't think it's fair to talk about my generation in the terms of childhood anymore. Um, my sister, again, my sister, senior younger than me, her generation, they're kids now. And, yeah. But, uh, happy to hear them. I think they're crazy as hell. But, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, we've reached a point where we, you know, I think that people don't want to accept we're almost on a level playing field, you know? Yeah. We're adults. We have families. We have jobs. Um, and every generation's going to have this disagreement discourse that kind of continues, and that's part of uh, sure. society growing. Um, but I do think maybe the, the boomer generation is having a harder time accepting that than most. Um, yeah. And it might be because uh, industries and uh, the, the way society is changing so much more rapidly than it used to. Yeah. I mean, the difference between 1920 and 1940 wasn't nearly as crazy as the difference between 1990 and 2010. Exactly. I mean, the the amount of... I mean, even the difference between 1940 and 1970. Yeah. Like, the amount of information that's available and you can use and the... uh, the connectivity that we all have, it's the, the options for life are so much greater. It's just, uh, I think it's hard, and I, and I get that. As an older, you know, person, I can imagine it being harder, because, like, 
it's more things are changing than they have for anybody before. And it's like, you know, you're never going to adapt all the way, or for the most part. You know, once you get set in your ways by a certain age, you know, there's, you can learn and still mold and, you know, develop ideas, but there's some things that stick with you. And it's, yeah. as many things are changing and how ha- fast it's happening, heck, it's hard for me to keep up with. That's right. You know, I, I really? lose track of development. Thank God. <laughs> so, you know, so. there's no, you know, and somebody that's grew up in a world that, you know, say it changed an inch a year. It's changing ten miles a year, right? Right. You know, for some, try to give a slightly visual effect to that. It's, exactly. Um, so, while we're while we're talking about this, tell me about OK Boomer. <laughs> um, I I don't I don't hate it. <laughs> I don't I don't use it. I don't think so much. Um, I think what I love the most about it is I have seen boomers start to adopt it. Uh, on each other, uh, and I think that uh, it justifies its use to an extent. Yeah. Um, there are the basis of the conversation we're having all day, especially you can go back to the living wages thing. You know, that's probably the biggest one people harp on when you see it happening. Um, not everyone knows everything. Um, no one knows everything. Uh, and I think it's okay to make fun of people a little bit. I mean, it yeah. has to be. Comedy exists in this world for a reason. I mean, there's a reason stand-up comics get in a lot more trouble than everybody else, but they also don't stop doing their job. Um, so I think, honestly, if it could get accepted, and like I said, I think what's making me happiest about it is seeing the generation kind of play onto itself. I was actually on a plane a couple weeks ago, and a wife looked at her husband because he was having trouble with, like, a USB port on the TV <laughs> on the back of the seat, and OK Boomer did, like, right in front of me, and she, me and her were, you know, joking about it. Um, it's healthy when that happens. Yeah. Because it's, there is a critique and criticism being given, but it's also, if it can be understood and taken in with a lighter heart, mm-hmm. a real conversation starts. Um, so I think some acceptance of the fact that maybe we're just playing around a little bit, you know. Do we have some issues we want to talk about? Yeah, but this isn't supposed to ruin right. your day. You know, it's not meant to make you and see, uh, feel terrible about yourself. Yeah. It's just, you know, the same reason, you know, you, you make fun of a kid. I think I saw someone like a clip on one of these daytime talk shows or something. It's, uh, you know, the it was... Gen Z or whatever this generation is now, some kids are having trouble operating rotary telephone. Oh no! Um, <laughs> um, I don't think my generation's that bad, but but for whatever it is, you know, if you can bring a kid on national television and laugh in his face for not being able to operate that because he's never seen one before, quite literally, then I can okay boomer you. You know, yeah. I mean, if you're, yeah. if you're allowed to, if you're allowed to dig my nose in, you know, put my nose in the dirt a little bit. I, you know, yeah, yeah. take it, take it back. Um, oh yeah, and there's a lot of pride there, you know. I think. Uh, the older you get, the more pride you have. Hopefully, I mean, you, you're aging and you're doing things, and you, you know, are confident in yourself. I, you know, that's a natural development. So it's harder to break that wall down uh, yeah, with guess. an older generation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but if everyone can understand it's a joke and it's fun, uh, we can actually maybe talk about some of it. And exactly. I think that's fun. And you know, the, the, I can relate a difference because when my generation was young. Uh, who were the older generation? Well, that was the so-called greatest the generation. The greatest, right? <laughs> the greatest generation. And, of course, they were still on the high of winning World War II. And God bless us if we ever criticized them. Mm-hmm. They could criticize us, but we would have never gotten away with something like 
okay boomer or uh, so okay was the, greater. Was the criticism as loud then? I guess that was like was I mean I guess it was harder for it to be because the internet didn't exist. But was it is angry? We're getting another beer. So. <laughs> um, um, I would say there was a lot of real disgust. Yeah. Real, you know, and it was, it could get really, really ugly uh, from between the generations. I mean, uh, God bless my mom. Right, mom? You're listening. <laughs> God bless my mom. Um, but my dad at one point said, you better stop or you're gonna or you're gonna drive him out of the house because it was just on you on you on you and you know and this is not about my generation for sure but we had a real generation gap yeah between my generation and the and our parents when I, I think mean, it's, it was a mess I, I love the comparison of yours to that and almost and I it's weird almost I think but like in the situation we're in now but like because you had the, the I mean the entire idea of the 60s which yeah. is, it's not even a decade anymore it's a it's a philosophy almost <laughs> um, and I think my generation has become the next version of that yeah in its own way you know we have our, our ideas are a lot more accepting of everyone and not just who you've been immediately surrounded by sure um then again, you're also in the situation where it's like your generation was doing that, but no one's maybe forgot it. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I look around and and um, and say, thanks, Al. <laughs> <laughs> I look around and say, where did Tom Hayden? Well, Tom's dead, but where's Abby Hoffman? Well, Abby's dead, but you know, where are those icons from my generation? Yeah. And what the hell happened? Um, go back, pick up a Keezy book again, you know, get exactly. inspired a little bit. Exactly. I, I still read that stuff. <laughs> so, you know, I, uh, I think, one, uh, my generation's, I think, also it's the nostalgia generation. I mean, it's insane. We're nostalgic for times we didn't even live in. But for sure the 90s. I mean, it's crazy. But, you know, we almost, like, hold nostalgia for other other groups. Um, I think it's good because we try to remember. But uh, yeah. it's just funny to watch that that. I mean, you, know, you forget things as you get older. I it's never heard that before, but the nostalgia generation. I mean, you know, we, I, heck, I think half my wardrobe is old Nickelodeon t-shirts or something like that. You know what I mean? It's like, um, uh, I know there's a, there's a 90s bar crawl every three weeks in this town. You know, there's always something going on for you to kind of grip the path. But we also, we're nostalgic for Jimi Hendrix, and we never yeah. got to see a show. Yeah. But, uh... Well, I go to I go to I go to establishments, restaurants, bars, and what are they playing? Yep, sixties, dude, all the time. And I'm thinking, I'd almost rather it be a little bit more modern so I can try and keep up. <laughs> keep up a little bit. I oh, honestly, there's Creedence again. All right. Honestly, you're telling me because I I still, I still have friends that do keep up, and I don't. Cause I I I'm super guilty of this. I don't know if I'm willfully listen to anything that got put out after like 1998 <laughs> the last two years but, um, but uh, it'd be nice and I think maybe there's some identity that might create some identity struggles too yeah. you know we try to be a piece of what was and maybe we aren't becoming ourselves too much and maybe there's you know there's, maybe there's something to explore there too but um, I, I, I wonder and here's the Rolling Stones in the background here we go here right we go. and I'm all right with it <laughs> <laughs> I, another thing I was kind of thinking, well, just while we're talking, thinking, that I guess it's 
the talking about the um, disgust on I think is what you said between the you know greatest generation and the boomer generation it's those were next to each other right that was your parents yeah that was my parents I'm not arguing with my parents I'm arguing with my grandparents mm. and I wonder if I don't know if you and your par- your grandparents are the boomers yeah and yeah. Um, so like you know my my generation Gen X I guess it's like almost like Gen X just Disappeared. They're not there, right? <laughs> That's right. Like, so why am I not, you know, I mean, I know that they're not mad at me, but, like, are they there? I guess, uh, have you really run into conversations about, like, what happened to that discourse? Like, why my parents aren't the ones I hate so much and it's my <laughs> grandparents suddenly? I yeah. mean, is it because they're still alive and they didn't used to be? Or, you know what I mean? Like, no, exactly. It's like those ideas hold for longer because there's still people I living and breathing and talking about them? Or? I don't know, you know. That that that's fascinating, but I do know that 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 generation between ours is a very interesting generation. More they inside. kill a lot of brain cells. <laughs> <laughs> they did kill a lot of brain cells, um, but they they were more inside. More they were less activist than my generation for mm-hmm. sure. They kind of got tired, or maybe they grew up with. Mom and Dad, or, or or whoever's taking care of me, they're gone. They're out. They're out marching. They're yeah. out doing something, and so they kind of just got away and said, "I'm taking care of myself." <laughs> they don't want to have the fight. <laughs> so we have to leave it there, um, and that's part one of Aaron Die, and he's got more to say, and so um, many items of interest, the nostalgic generation, it's nostalgia for uh, a a. a a time, time. Period, a, a time period when they didn't even live. And don't, don't get so nostalgic about the 60s, guys. It wasn't all it's written no, up to no. be. No, no. It was plenty of hard stuff. Plenty of hard. So, of course, we need to end with a song. And one of the songs playing in the background was Brown Sugar. And so, and of course, as Aaron said, he's all right with that. So, have a great week. And we will... Wash your hands. Wash your hands. <laughs> stay inside. And talk to you next week. Bye now. Thank <laughs> you.